All right, good morning. Well, we had an extra video in there uh, that showed up for some reason. Uh, but I wanted you to see that second one because uh, a lot of you guys have been living like that and uh, on the underneath and uh, looking good on the top, but struggling underneath. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today, and we'll get into it a little bit more. But we're in the middle of a series entitled Living the Dream. And uh, we talked a few weeks uh, uh, in the past here about four principles of how to live the dream, uh, the American dream, living life, dealing with the blessings that we have when too much uh, that we have can be too much and we don't handle it very well. Uh, we're, we've been talking about how to manage it God's way. And we talked about the four biblical principles, the first being gratitude, which is a great week to recap that, uh, that we need to be thankful to God who gave us everything. And then we talked uh, the second week about contentment, how that we need to be satisfied with what we have in life. That's a very important part of managing what we've been blessed with. And then uh, we talked about humility and how that what we have in life, we are among the richest people in the world, but we need to understand and be humbled about that. And then last week, Tony talked about trust and how then in managing things, we just have to put our faith and trust in Jesus, not only for salvation, but also in dealing with life and, uh, and fearing and wondering about tomorrow. Uh, and we, we have trouble with that, don't we? I have trouble with that. Uh, trouble trusting God. To I know you're caring for me today, but can I trust you tomorrow? And that's a huge thing that we have to t try to figure out and understand. Well, today we're going to transition a little bit. We're going to talk about some biblical principles, uh, some practices, because it's not just enough to have, have theories and have, you know, things that we believe. It's important to live it out on a daily basis. You know, the Bible says in uh, James chapter 1, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. And that's a very practical thing. A lot of us know exactly what the Bible has to say, but we don't necessarily live that way. We can quote it, we can say, oh yeah, I know what it says, but, and then when it comes to practical living, we have a hard time putting the principles into practice. And so we're going to try to translate those principles today into actual decisions that we make and how do we deal with our finances. I think really the big question that we have today, have to ask today is, are we really willing to follow God's plan and experience His blessing and healing? And that is a huge question because a lot of us are concerned about money, a lot of us are worried and, you know, and struggle and, and fret about it, but we have to ask ourselves the question, are we really, really willing to let God have control, to let go of those things? And that's a hard decision for us. In John chapter 5, Jesus met a man who had been an invalid for 38 years, and he asked him a very strange question right before he healed him. He asked him, do you want to get well? And that's a great question for a lot of areas of life because many of us uh, would rather stay comfortable. We would choose to remain in our misery because the cure is painful and we don't want to make sacrifices. And so Jesus wanted to know, do you, do you really seek healing? And when it comes to finances, the question is, is do we really want to get better? Do we want to take some of the pressure off? Do we want to live the dream? Or are we content to continue living in a nightmare, which is true for a lot of us? See, the reality is that we all like living the good life. There are so many things here for us, and we just kind of absorb those things. We love living in custom-built homes and driving brand-new cars and designer clothes and season tickets and exciting vacations. We love those things. And, and in fact, a lot of us look like life is going great, and that's really why I, did the, I played the duck video, because a lot of us, you know, on the surface, things are wonderful. Life is going good. People look at us and think, man, you are doing so well in life. 
But underneath the surface, we're paddling like crazy. We're juggling money and trying to figure out payments and make everything work and hoping an emergency doesn't come up. And we're struggling with life and, and we're financing all of that, unfortunately. And it's all a facade that we're trying to keep up. And whenever an emergency comes along or maybe a loss of income of some sort, we're immediately in crisis. Now, for some people, you know what's going on is that we're just spending more than we're making. And that's not a good idea. If you're living above your means, you've got to make some adjustments and you need to learn to live well below those means. But for a lot of other people, you're probably pretty blessed, pretty prosperous. Here in our part of the world, things are, you know, are pretty good. And, uh, and you're, you're making so much money, you can't imagine why you're struggling. And you go back and you look at what you make and you, you know, we ought to be doing, I never thought I would make this kind of money. Why, why aren't we having extra money? Where's all the money at? And instead you're going paycheck to paycheck. That's a struggle in life. And I will tell you, that's where you are. That's a miserable place to be. I've been there and maybe you've been there in times in your life. And whenever that happens, there are two very obvious things that come up. One of them is that you can't give to God like you know you ought to and like you would like to. But the other thing is, more than likely, if there's more than one of you, you're having some fights about money. Money's always an issue. It's always a conflict issue. And sometimes we don't even know what the real reason for that is. And so I'm going to tell you what the problem for some of us is, and that is debt. Debt. You know, and so the first biblical practice we're going to talk about is debt-free living. Debt-free living. Can you imagine what it would be like to not have any debt in life. Now, some of you know that to be true, but most of us can't imagine that. Let me tell you that debt in America is at an all-time high. Consumer debt, an all-time high. Credit card debt, over $15,000 per person. That's the average, or family. For car debt, over $30,000 per family. Student loan, over $50,000. Now, some of you are feeling pretty good right now because you're, you're, you're feeling good because you're below those levels. But we have to admit, those levels are absurd, all right? So, so don't feel good if you're below them, but that's just average numbers that we're throwing out there. For a lot of people, they pay almost one-tenth of their income in interest alone. Imagine that. One-tenth of what you make goes into interest. So if you're wondering where your money goes and you have a lot of debt, you are paying interest on somebody else's money right now. And not only is that overwhelmingly financially, overwhelming financially and emotionally, Debt is spiritually defeating as well. There's something about that that's defeating. In Romans chapter 13, it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Let me tell you, it is hard to love somebody when you owe them money. It's just true. It really is hard. It's an awkward situation, isn't it? Proverbs chapter 22 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. That we actually put ourselves into slavery and we're working for someone else when we are in debt. You know, that's the, when we talk about these things, you're going to say, well, where do you come up that, with that at? These are Bible principles that translate into practices. That's how God says this is how life would be so much more enjoyable and blessed. You could do so much more if in this case you didn't have debt. Now we have to ask our question, ourselves the question, how do we get here? How do we get here? Maybe you've looked at your credit card debt or, and you've wondered, how did we get there? I didn't know we'd charge that much. Because nobody would surely choose to do this on purpose. And you know, when we think about most of our debt, we're honest. We're not talking about borrowing money because we need to go buy some groceries. 
We're not talking about borrowing money because we need to have some basic clothes to wear, you know, to work tomorrow. That, that's really not what the issue is all about. In fact, I think the whole idea of debt is a lot deeper than that, and it really kind of goes back to the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about money and the way we think about debt as well. And so here's kind of the principle, a wrong thinking leads to wrong living. Wrong thinking leads to wrong living. Let me tell you how we think today, and I'm going to use the word debt as an acronym to kind of describe how do we get into debt. Here's the first thing, desire. Desire. D stands for desire. We want things. Is that, is, that's not a news shock to, you know, uh, bulletin, is it? We want things. And we have such an excellent marketing world today that we know what they are and we want things. Several years ago, Queen, the band Queen, had a song, I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. I went back and listened to that, you know, and uh, it's an old song. I'm not a big Queen fan, but, but that really is true, isn't it? We want it all. We want it all, and we want it when? Now. Our mindset is that we don't really have the self-control. We might be able to have it all, you know, at some point. But we want what other people have, and we're not willing to wait until we have the money to do it. And with the wonderful uh, resource of credit, we can have it all and have it all right now, at least for a little while, right? So we have this desire. But have you ever noticed that once we get what we think we want, there's no satisfaction with it? That's what's so frustrating is we think, if I just get that, I'm going to be content and Contentment is another principle, remember? We're not content. It doesn't satisfy. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But, but D is, is for desire. E is for entitlement. Entitlement. We want things and we feel like we deserve these things. We have this exaggerated sense of, of value, of importance of ourselves, and, and what we have to have to live the dream. This will get me where I want to be. We think we deserve it. We want it. And if we can get it, why not? Why not get it now and pay for it later? We're just bombarded with that message. So there is desire, there's entitlement. Secondly, the B is bigger and better. And that's why we're not content, because there's always something bigger and better. Once we get what we think will make us happy, we discover it's just not the best anymore. And technology is a great example of this. I mean, by the time you know what something is and you buy it and get it home, it's already old. And <laughs> It's already obsolete. There's something bigger and better and faster, and you got to have that right now if you have that mentality. There's always something the next level. There's always a better car, better label clothes. You know, there's always a house with more space or better space. And the reality is that we all kind of do this. We, all, we call it upgrading. We all upgrade, and some of that is normal. I, I know as you, your income increases, we're able to to have more and do more, but making decisions like that without having the resources at the cost of going into unmanageable debt is just dumb. It's just dumb, isn't it? So there's desire, there's entitlement, there's bigger and better, and then the last one is T, is taught. A lot of us kind of grew up in homes like that where debt was normal and all the stress and conflict that goes with it and we're just kind of used to it. And we assume that our kids will as well. Why? Because they've just learned that from, from us. That's kind of a part of it. Isn't it time you broke the cycle of debt in your family? If that is a part of your family, break the cycle of debt. And if you won't do it for yourself, do it for your children. Because you know what's going to happen? Our kids, as every generation, they accumulate debt more and quicker than the previous one. It's kind of how it works. 
And so we got to understand that we got to stop the cycle here. Because here's the thing, debt is not normal. Our world would try to convince us that it's normal, and it's right, and it's just, you know, it just happens, but it really isn't normal. It should not be a normal way to live, especially for Christians. The Bible's already said, do not let any debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the law of love. And to fulfill the law of love, you have to be free to be able to do that. Now, if debt seems normal to you, then it's time to get a new normal, a new normal in your life. Whenever we change our, the way we think, that's why thinking is so important to identify the way we think. When we change our way of thinking, we change the way that we live. Now, that's true in every area of life. For example, whenever you learn about Jesus and you decide to follow him, you change your way of thinking. And your way of change, think, changing your way of thinking changes the way that you live life. And the Bible says a part of that is the word repent. And the word repent means to change your mind. Change your mind from living from yourself and following the gods of this world and following the, the, the true God. To change your mind. And whenever you change your mind, you change the way your actions, change your actions. So for many of us, it's time to repent uh, in the way we think about money and debt. Now, anytime you change something, it's going to hurt, Right? It's always going to hurt. There's some, there's some tension in giving your life to Christ, but there's also tension in changing anything else. Now, for example here, I thought this would be a good connection and a painful one for us, so we'll just go there. We'll, we're going to think for a moment about our physical condition. And you're like, oh, you know, you're talking about money, and now you're going to talk about weight. What else can you, you know, what else can you talk about here? You know, a few weeks ago, I, I decided, you know what, I am at the top of my weight level where I'm comfortable at, uh, and it kind of crept up, you know, it's kind of like debt, you know, it, it gets there slowly, creeps up, but I thought, you know, I'm at that place, I got to do something about it, and so I'm one of those somewhat fortunate people that I can do most of mine with diet, but the reality is that normally to lose weight, you have to do two things, you have to diet and exercise, right, and that's just kind of a part of it. Diet and exercise. So I decided to go on a diet, and I lost about 13 pounds. Now, this was before Thanksgiving when I last weighed. So I'm um, not sure where I am today. But I lost that weight, and I'm still thinking really hard about the exercise. I'm trying to figure that out. But, but, but at any rate, you've you got to understand that you have to stop eating the wrong foods or too much of those, and then you have to actively work to get the pounds off. We, we know that's kind of how you have to lose weight. Now, let's translate that to financial fitness here. A lot of people are weighed down with too much debt. And to kind of put it in one, you know, uh, one phrase, you're debt fat. You're debt fat. You know you got too much there. And you know that like any diet is going to be miserable. It's going to hurt to, to reduce it. But you got to do that. You just have to do that. So to become financially fit, you have to diet and exercise. In the debt analogy, it has two things. You stop borrowing and then you actively get out of debt. You dump the debt. So it's two parts. Stop borrowing, get out of debt. Because you know you have to stop bleeding before you can heal, right? And the unfortunate thing is a lot of us, we know that we're in trouble here. We know that, but we just keep doing dumb things. And we just keep making it worse. That's how debt grows, because you borrow more money. It's really close correlation there. It's how you get in more debt. So you need to, you got to stop doing that. Because if you don't, you're just never going to heal at all. So let me throw some rules out there that might help you 
before you purchase something that would put you in debt. Number one, do I need this or just want it? Do I really need this or just want it? You know, and don't, don't lie to yourself because most of us are really good convincing ourselves that I need this when we really just want this. God promises in Philippians 4, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, obviously, he's met the greatest need, our salvation, but I believe that God knows our needs before we do and that God wants to meet those needs, and he will do that. He is faithful in every way. However, he does not promise to meet our wants. Have you noticed that? God will provide our needs, but not necessarily our wants. Most of us get all both, but, but trust God in those things. So we have to learn to trust him and not try to do it ourselves. The reality is we could, most of us, have anything we want because of, you know, credit. But trust God. Trust God to provide your needs. Wait, slow down. Number two, establish a spending ceiling on items. Several ceilings. Number one, what will you spend without your spouse's input? Have you ever bought something and then you had to tell your spouse, and boy, did that cause a conflict? Um, agree on what you're not going to spend, you know, a ceiling level, but also agree on what you're going to spend on any major item. Well, how much will you, if you need something, maybe you need it, but how much are you going to spend on that? You don't have to have the best. And then how many comparison prices are you going to get before you buy? How long are you going to think and pray about something before you buy? Are you going to pray about it? A lot of us go into things, major issues, we never pray about it. And, and ask God to give us wisdom on that. And number three, wait. Wait. A big purchase ought to take a long time to decide, you know, unless it's like a refrigerator or something. Then you might have to buy that quick, but, but use wisdom on that. So wait. Wait on God to supply. Let me give you an example of that. A few years ago, we needed a car. And, uh, and if you know us, <laughs> we got the worst car in the parking lot probably out here. But, but we just don't spend a lot on cars. We just, we really, that isn't a priority to us, to be honest. And we don't buy new cars. We don't even buy late model cars because we don't like to borrow money. We believe that God knows our need before we do. And so we needed a car, really needed a car, and just decided to wait to see what God would, would lead us to. And so we noticed that our neighbor had a car that he never drove, and we discovered the car was for sale. Now, when I say car, it was 14 years old at the time. It was a good-looking car. It only had 50,000 miles on it. And so we bought it for $3,000 cash. We paid for it. And let me tell you something we discovered about that car. It does everything a $30,000 car does. <laughs> Literally. It really does. It starts every morning. It takes us there and it brings us home. It has air conditioning and heat and a radio. It pretty much does everything a $30,000 car will do. Now, to me, that's just smart. I don't think anybody envies my car, but that's okay with me. I don't I don't worry too much about that, you know? The same thing is true with my truck, you know, the exact same thing. We just kind of wait for God to show us because God knows our need before we do. Now, let me, before you go, oh, Randy's some great, you know, financial faith person. We make plenty of dumb mistakes, but it just so happens when it comes to vehicles, I think we got a pretty good balance there, all right? Now, we could, I could have probably afford a brand new truck. I would like to have a brand new truck, but between Lori and I, it ain't going to happen, all right? Why would I go into debt when, when the, the truck I have does exactly what a new one would? But here's the thing. Whenever you wait, you give God room to work and move. And the reality is that most of us need to go on a debt diet. 
We really do. Just decide, you know what, we're not going in debt on anything else. Could you do that and just say, we're not going into debt any, anywhere else. We're going to stop the bleeding, but I want to tell you, stopping the bleeding is not enough, is it? We all know that. Because we might, okay, let's just stop, let's never borrow any more money, and let's just pay the minimum on our credit card debt. It, that's not going to work either. This is where the exercise comes in. This is the exercise. The diet is no more debt. The exercise is getting out of that as quick as you can. And let me tell you this, if you pay the minimum on your credit card debt, you're going to be in debt a long, long time. For example, if you owe $5,000 with 14% uh, interest and you make the minimum payment on that debt, it's going to take you 22 years to get out of it on $5,000. And it's going to cost you $5,887 in interest over that 22 years. So your $5,000 debt is going to cost you $10,000, almost $11,000. So just stopping your... Your, your charging is not going to be enough. You're going to have to get aggressive. Dieting is usually not enough to lose the weight you've accumulated. It's going to take time to get over that. It's time to exercise and get rid of the debt. And the rule is it usually takes twice as long to lose weight as it does uh, to, to gain it. And it takes twice as long to lose uh, the debt uh, as it does for you to gain that. And it isn't hard to get into debt, is it? Very, very easily. So as a church, we're concerned about that. One thing we do every year is we offer Financial Peace University, and that's going to start in January. Uh, John and Humera Dale teach that class for us. They've helped hundreds of people get out of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, and to save money. They're not miracle workers, but this is not rocket science either, all right? This is just putting your head to it. Uh, but uh, the, the, the leader of that, Dave Ramsey, suggests that you use what's called a debt reduction snowball. This is really quick. Uh, but basically, you list your debts down, and you pay off the smallest one, being very aggressive as, as possible. And then you take all the money that you had on the smallest debt, and you, you put it on the next smallest one, and you pay that off and the next one until you're, you're out of debt. That's how it works, in theory. A lot of sacrifice there, but that's how you get out. That's how you exercise. Now, your mortgage is a big deal. Most of us have mortgages. Um, some would say that's a good debt, but, you know, I don't think any debt is really a good debt. Uh, but you can pay that off quicker as well. You just look at your amortization schedule. You add the amount of your principal for the next month to your payment, and I'm told that that will cut your mortgage in half from 30 years to 15, 15 to 7 and a half. And you realize any money you put on your principal of any, of any debt is going to reduce the principal uh, and the interest and total you owe and the length of your loan. That's just really simple stuff. But we need to learn how to do those things. Now, you might ask the question, because we've been talking about debt like it's a sin. Is debt a sin? Well, let me just say this. There is a lot of sin in debt. I believe that. There's a lot of sin in debt. But I don't know that sin, that debt necessarily is a sin, but it is a burden that we do not have to carry. Sometimes debt is necessary, obviously. But the whole idea of being in debt long-term and ongoing debt was never intended by God. God never wanted that to be, and it really shouldn't be. It shouldn't be normal, like we said a few moments ago. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, uh, the Bible says, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan that they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. See, God did not want his people to be in long-term debt. 
And they just understood, you loan somebody money, after seven years you're going to cancel that debt. It's going to be over because that's the decree that God says. It's interesting that in the United States, people used to not have mortgages. They just built what they could afford. But when mortgages came to be, the term was seven years. It came from the Bible. Now we stretch that out to 30 years, which is normal. Now, that scripture is awesome, but unfortunately, your lenders do not follow God's advice. They don't believe they don't believe the Bible. So, you know, the credit card company is going to call you up and go, great news, you've been with us seven years, you don't owe anything else. It's not going to happen, not in, not in this world. In fact, the opposite, they want to keep you in debt indefinitely. You think they're helping you by raising your credit limit. Like, oh, I'm doing so great, they raised my limit. That's not a good thing, all right? You know, it may make you feel good, but they want to keep you in debt. They're not your friend. Now, I'll take a moment here and address another issue of debt, and that's bankruptcy. What, is, what does the Bible say about bankruptcy? Not a great deal, but, but I believe Christians need to take responsibility for their debts. There are cases I know where bankruptcy is probably the only option. You know, I look at that kind of like divorce. Divorce is in, in a, a marriage is like the nuclear option. It's never a good idea, never something you want to do. Sometimes it is necessary. It will destroy your credit for up to 10 years. It will destroy relationships that you have with people. If you owe somebody and you get out of that and they don't get their money, that's not going to build a relationship very well. And I know that it also leaves some guilt and some shame in people's lives. And here's the other thing, that it really doesn't solve your problem if you haven't addressed how you got there to start with. And so there are people that end up doing that over and over because they don't know how to handle debt and and they just keep getting in trouble. So let me throw out three real quick questions here about uh, bankruptcy before you ever do this. Number one, is there any other choice? You know, we're, we're kind of like uh, bankruptcy in that some people are uh, about divorce is when things are bad, you just got to get out. There's only one thing to do and you just got to get out. But the bankruptcy is not always a good choice. It's not always the best option for you. Secondly, have you taken responsibility for your debts? Have you assumed responsibility or are you still deflecting that off into somebody else's fault and thirdly have you taken steps to avoid debt in the future have you really dealt with your problem that starts in your mind that's wrong wrong thinking so here's my advice avoid total bankruptcy if possible but here's the other thing you know what if it's in your past let it be in the past God has forgiven us of a whole lot more than bankruptcy and trust him and put it behind you and move forward. Don't live in, that, uh, in, that, in the sin of your past. And don't go and, go and sin no more. That's what the Bible teaches about putting the past behind us. See, the Bible is very clear about that. In fact, the Bible also talks about co-signing a loan. Basically, it says don't do it. <laughs> it don't do it. Romans chap- uh, Proverbs chapter 11, whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer. But whoever refuses to shake hands in pledge is safe. And it says in Proverbs 17, one who has no sense shakes hands in pledge and puts up security for a neighbor. So in other words, don't co-sign a loan, whether it's a stranger or a neighbor. And you may feel like you're helping that person, but if they can't get a loan, they probably can't service a loan. And so that's really pretty, a pretty bad idea to do for anybody. And if you end up having to pay the debt, which is what a co-signer has to do, the relationship's going to be damaged, resentment on your side, shame on theirs. It's just a really bad idea. So how do you help somebody? Well, rather than co-sign, maybe you ought to give them something, help them without any expectation. It's kind of how the Bible says that we ought to give without expecting back. If you do get it back, it's kind of a bonus, I guess. Uh, but, but understand 
that, that when you give, you should not do it in, in uh, loaning to other people. It's just a bad idea. I'll tell you one time it might be good to help co-sign is for a child, uh, to help a child buy a car or something, making sure they understand exactly what the expectations are. I remember back uh, many years ago when Lori and I were young and uh, I was buying a car or having a kid or something, whatever it was, we needed some money. <laughs> we needed some money. You know how that is? It doesn't matter what it is. You need some money. So I went to my dad. I'm like, my dad could probably help me out. So I go to my dad and I said, Dad, I need some money here. And, uh, and he goes, well, I can help you out. He said, let's just put together a note. We'll figure out the interest rate. I'm going, wait a minute. You're my dad. You know, I get a loan at a bank. This is my dad. But I look back on that and I think, man, that was so smart for two reasons. Number one, I never had to worry if he was giving money to my siblings because they were getting a loan too. But secondly, I didn't want to owe my dad, especially pay him interest. And so uh, I paid that off and never, ever asked him for a dime after that. It's a great idea. I, I want to practice that if I have to myself. I really think that you ought to avoid long-term loan to your kids. I really do, you know. I think you ought to think long and hard before you take out a parent loan for school. I think you definitely ought to avoid co-signing for your children's education because I've heard some horror stories about that. Uh, there are ways to manage that, you know, letting your child take out the loan, be generous when you can if the grades are acceptable. But teach your kids about money and about borrowing. You know what? It's time to stop that and let them know that, that lending or borrowing can be a curse or a blessing and how to do it in a smart way. You know, I, I say all of that for this reason. This is a time of year when it's really, really easy to rack up some debt, right? I mean, this is Christmas time, and at Christmas time, we're like, let's just, hey, let's just go. We'll worry about it in January. That's, that's how we do a lot of things, right? And I want to challenge you to limit your spending to what you can afford right now. I want to challenge you to do that. I don't know about your business. Don't want to know about it. But if you went a little crazy on Black Friday, here's what I want to suggest to you. Take it back on Sunday. <laughs> take it back. They'll take it back. You know, you'll have to stand in line, but, but take it back. And if Cyber Monday is what you're just itching to get your key, your fingers working, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't, don't get your sound. That's really easy online, isn't it? Because you have to pay for it. You can't pay it in cash online. So, uh, you know, don't do that. Start the diet now. Start the exercise in January, right? That's a great idea. That's just a practical thing to do. Stop borrowing, sell some things that you owe on, downsize, pay off your debt, and get out of debt. Now, what would happen if you didn't have any? If you didn't have debt, then you could be obedient to God in ways you never imagined. Number one, you could give to the God who gave you everything that you have. You could show gratitude. You could be generous above and beyond what you thought you would ever do. And then you could fulfill the law of love that, that the Bible talks about to help others. You could buy food when somebody needed it. You could help with utilities. You could give to a missionary. You could support a child at risk. You could, you know, help plant a church. You could do any number of things. Buy people Bibles. The list is endless of what you could do if you live with margin in your own life. Earlier, I read from Proverbs chapter 22, where it says, the borrower is servant to the lender. See, when we're in debt, we are in slavery, and we shackle ourselves voluntarily to the bondage of debt, and we limit what we can do. And that's not a good place to be. Because I will tell you that God did not intend for us to live in bondage to any person, any bank, anything. That we are called to be free. And here's the beautiful picture of it. In our natural state, we are slaves to sin. We have no choice. We are sold to sin 
and we serve sin. But God sent Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful message of the gospel. God sent Jesus to pay our debt with his death on the cross. There's an old song that said, I owed a debt I could not pay. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. That's the beautiful picture of salvation, the gospel, that we can't pay our debt, but Jesus can. And he wants to take away anything and everything that enslaves you. But you must make that choice and decision, just like you decide, will I make wise money decisions? More importantly, will I make a wise spiritual decision to give my life to Christ? This morning, if you've never done that, if you want to be free from the slavery of sin, Christ wants to offer his life for you personally. And I would love to have that conversation with you. There's a place on your connection card that you can say, I want to talk to a minister. You can touch base with me today or through the week, whenever. But I would love to have that conversation with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, thank you that, that we can laugh and that we can be honest about the hard things in life. God, thank you that your word is so amazingly practical. There's nothing that escapes your wisdom and your truth. God, help us to live that way, to practice your principles and your practices to live in this world and truly live the dream. We love you and worship you in Jesus' name.